Please take your Bible and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, reads this way. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. David, the shepherd, the poet, the warrior, the king, makes this statement in the third psalm, a psalm that's probably unfamiliar to most of you. He talks about how he lay down and slept. Were you able to sleep when you lay down last night? Did you toss and turn? If you did go to sleep rather quickly, did you find yourself waking about two hours after you went to sleep, having gone to sleep exhausted? Then when you awoke, that thing or those things which have screamed for your allegiance and attention, those things which are in the category of worrisome things or situations, they were there probably. You came here today maybe hoping for some help in this area. Well, the Lord is helpful in every area of our lives, but there's no area in our lives that He's more helpful than in the area of what to do with anxiety in our lives. A great Scottish preacher by the name of McLaren made this statement about these verses, particularly verse 6, don't be anxious. The King James Version says, be careful for nothing. He said, this is the impossible injunction, the impossible command, because all of us deal with this bugaboo of worry in our lives. We're told here that we're not to worry. I read about a woman who said, don't tell me that worrying doesn't work. Everything I've worried about has not come true. So, if that's the case, keep on worrying. But it doesn't help us, does it? As Jesus told us just a few moments ago, that by worrying, we can't add, the NIV says, one hour. That's not a, a literal translation. It's one cubit. A cubit is 18 inches. That's a figure of speech. We can't lengthen our lives by worrying. Yet we keep on worrying. So this passage of Scripture teaches us how to overcome worry. Not become the slaves to our anxiety in a world that is full of things and situations that create anxious moments in our lives. So let's begin by looking at this simple command. In the original language, it says, in effect, stop worrying. Stop being anxious about anything. And the alternative to being anxious is given to us. This is where we really want to get to. I don't think you have to be convinced that you battle anxiety, but we want to get to a solution, do we not? Come on, Lord, help us. You say don't be anxious, but please help us, Lord. Give us insight 
which we can apply to our lives so that we can be overcomers and not live under the circumstances, but be able to rise above them in our lives. And here's the answer to that question. The Lord's not reluctant to answer the question of how. In the last part of verse 6, in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I'm going to spend quite a bit of time dealing with the various aspects of that last part, the solution, the answer to this heavy burden of anxiety that hangs over our heads. In everything, it says... Not just some things, everything, by prayer and supplication. Let's stop there just a moment. The word prayer has within it, in the original language, the words which mean face-to-face. Prayer, in its most basic sense, is our coming face-to-face with God. This resonates in my own memory when I think about what God gave David to tell us centuries after the giving of this great piece of direction. He says in 1 Chronicles 16 11, Be strong in the Lord, not in your own strength. Seek the Lord and be strong, His strength, and seek His face continually. The essence of prayer is worship. We start with adoring the Lord. We start by Thinking of who He is first. What His attributes are. This song which Sarah just sang was so encouraging to me. To think about the quality of the Lord that really is basic to our overcoming fear and worry in our lives. Because it spoke of His faithfulness. This must have been Sarah's testimony. He's been faithful to me all my life. And we know in the book of Lamentations, the Bible tells us about God that His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, is what Jeremiah writes in that Lamentation. In Lamentation, I hope you know what that means. That means crying out. Jeremiah was known and still is known as the weeping prophet. He had a lot to be sorrowful about because he had no one who responded to the message which God had given him. And it was a powerful message. It was a liberating message. But people were listening to the false teachers who said, peace, peace, when there was no peace. They were promising prosperity and peace in this world, a world that would be empty of any kind of trouble for God's people. But what we know is, That Jesus Christ Himself says that in this world you will have trouble. But don't worry. I have overcome the world. Well, I said, Jesus, that's okay for you. You've overcome it. What does that have to do with me? The same thing that it had to do with Paul when he wrote these words. Paul was a prisoner. He was a prisoner of the emperor. He was a prisoner of the Caesar. And he was fully expecting to be exterminated. But he had rolled the dice and appealed to his own citizenship as a Roman citizenship to get passageway at the expense of the emperor to come before the emperor and plead his case. 
so that he could present the gospel to the emperor of the world and also to many other people. He was a prisoner when he wrote these words. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In other words, keep on worshiping the Lord. Keep on praising the Lord. Remember, this is the basic idea that's conveyed in this most basic word in the New Testament regarding prayer. It's coming face to face with God in adoration. And when we see encounters which people had with God in Scripture, they don't have a buddy-buddy relationship with Him. We see them like John the Revelator on the Lord's Day. He was in the Spirit and Jesus appeared to him and He fell on His face before Him. When we encounter these experiences in Scripture, we always see people adoring the Lord, honoring the Lord, praising the Lord. And the same is true for this great man whom we know as Paul. Look at verse 5. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. This was the secret of Paul's life. Later in this passage, he makes this statement. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in each and every situation. What is the secret? The Lord is near. What more could we want? We may not feel His nearness. That's beside the point. He promises He's near. He is near. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He's faithful. He says about Himself, I am not a man that I should lie or a son of man that I should repent. Have I said and will I not do it? Have I promised and will I not fulfill it? When the Lord Jesus makes a promise to you, He keeps it, always keeps His promise to us as His children. So, going back to verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Basically, stop being anxious about anything. And here's the way we do it, beginning with prayer. But in everything, by prayer, worshiping the Lord, and supplication. What is supplication? Simply put, it's asking God to supply our needs and the needs of others. That's what supplication is. This is a very important element of prayer, isn't it? And so God tells us it's not a sin to ask Him for things. In fact, He invites us to ask Him. In Jeremiah 33, 3, the Bible says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. This is a command the Lord gives to us to call out to Him. And he says also in the book of James, chapter 4, you do not have because you do not ask God. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your own passions. It's okay to ask God for those things which we need, but not just to fulfill our own selfish desires. That's important to understand. On the heels of that, I would draw your attention to a verse or two in 1 John chapter 5, which go like this. This is the confidence which we have before God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have received it from Him. We need to be men and women who search the Scriptures daily 
And we want to search them so we can have deeper intimacy with the Lord. But also, we want to be instructed by the Lord. And also, we want to be encouraged by the Lord. And the Lord encourages us by giving us promises from His Word which we can claim. About four weeks ago tomorrow, I think it will be four weeks tomorrow, one of our deacons, Bill Smith, began to have extreme pain in his abdominal region. His wife and he were out. She was driving as they were coming home from the east side. His pain was increasing. It came and went. It was in waves, but with each succeeding wave, it became stronger. It's like a woman in childbirth as the contractions become more frequent and more powerful. They got home. She gave him some tea to help him get better. He got better. Then he got worse and worse. She finally decided, I've got to take him to the hospital. She took him to the emergency room. It was discovered that he had an aneurysm in his aorta. He was perilously close to dying because if that did rupture, he would bleed out in a matter of seconds, if not minutes. And so the doctors put their heads together. And they said, we don't think we have the capacity. This case is so serious. We need to get this man to some team somewhere else as quickly as we can, which specializes in this particular matter. They made a call, the doctor team did, or a physician representing a team, to Houston. The case was presented. The doctors there put their heads together. Within a couple of hours, they returned. The call said, we can take Mr. Smith. It was arranged for air travel from the airport here to Houston Airport. They made their way there. They were ambulanced to the hospital. When they got there, he was quickly prepped for surgery. The surgery took place. The aneurysm was repaired. Repaired. But... What they discovered was he had had a few years earlier a bypass on his artery that ran down his leg. So they had to, right leg, so they had to go in and redo that while they were doing the surgery. And then they discovered that there was an artery in the lower left leg that needed to be bypassed if he was going to live. In a matter of 24 hours, he had three major procedures. There was a big sigh of relief on the part of Terry Smith, when she received the word from the doctor that it looked like her husband had a good chance of surviving. Then he added, Mrs. Smith, you did not know this probably, but there was only a 50% chance that your husband would make it alive from El Paso to this hospital. And after he got here, with all the troubles he had, there was only a 20% of that 50% that would be likely that he would survive. So, really, your husband had one out of ten chances of living, and he has survived. And, of course, Terry and Bill loved the Lord. She gave glory to God, thanked the doctor. The doctor left. The next day, the medical representative came in checking Bill over. Bill was complaining of a lot of pressure and discomfort in his abdominal region again. And what they discovered was that, and it's not uncommon with this kind of surgery, 
to have a buildup of fluid in the abdominal cavity. And the fluid was pressing against his lungs so that he was gasping for breath. He could have suffocated, actually, because of the buildup of this fluid. Terry was told, your husband's going to have to have emergency surgery. And the person who brought that report left the room. And she said, she told me this Friday night, she said she got down on her knees there in Bill's room at the foot of his bed. And she began to cry out to the Lord. To cry out unashamedly. To cry out to the Lord. Do you know how often in the Bible, the Bible speaks of crying out to the Lord? When you're in desperate straits, you cry out to the Lord. You don't care who's listening. You want to get God's attention. And she told me the essence of her prayer was, Oh God, this man is your child. This man loves you. This man loves others. This man is willing to be used by you. Oh God, please spare his life. She prayed like that for about half an hour. And in comes the medical representative checking on Bill one last time before setting the stage for surgery. And the swelling in his abdominal cavity had begun to recede. And in a matter of a few hours, it was completely gone. God healed him. Here's a woman who knows and loves the Lord, a child of God herself, crying out to God on behalf of her husband and a man I love. If you know him, you love him because he's such a sweet-spirited man and he loves the Lord. But what I'm saying this for is to say in this passage of Scripture, we've looked at these words in chapter 4, verse 6, in everything by prayer. What does that mean? That means praising the Lord, adoring the Lord. That's where we always begin because it's a reminder of who's in charge. God is a sovereign God, among other things. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. And we are to let our requests... Do you know what the word request really means? When you look at its origin, it means a cry based upon a personal need. So when you are under deep duress... Certainly, praise the Lord. Put your focus on the Lord first and foremost. And then ask God for whatever you need answers for. And then, in addition to that, cry out to the Lord. You may not do it in a public way, but get along with God and cry out to the Lord. It's for His ears, we understand. And watch Him work on your behalf. Trust Him to work on your behalf behalf. And we're to do this praying and supplicating and requesting with thanksgiving. And how often are we to do it? In everything. Come on, Lord. Give me a break. Everything, Lord? Even those things that are bad, Lord? Well, the answer is yes. This is what God says. Listen, please. We're fond of quoting Romans 8.28, aren't we? We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. But we don't go one verse more to discover what His purpose is. What is His purpose? For you, if you are a child of God, we have a unique purpose that's all of our purposes. And that is to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus, to become like Christ. 
who, by the way, learned obedience through what he suffered, according to Hebrews 5.8. He learned a deeper degree of obedience in his humanity. Jesus did. And we're to become like him. And the Lord uses these moments. Was Jesus righteous? As we were preparing for communion, I thought of that verse and mentioned it, where the Bible describes Jesus Christ as the propitiation for our sin, and He's the righteous one. He's the ultimately righteous one. Well, He's God in the flesh. We know that. So that's really not quite fair to us. But what about Job? You know Job's story. All the awful things which happened to him. Ten children lost. All of his fortune lost. His fame lost. He was a man of great reputation. And as the story unfolds, his wife doesn't want to be around him anymore. The little children make fun of him. He is ugly because of the disease which he has. And his future was lost. Everything. And what does he say? Though he slay me, I will still worship him. This is our Lord coming to a man who is described by the Lord Himself as the most righteous man, and he had trouble. Thank God none of us has been in the boat that Job found himself in. None of us can compare in our trouble like he did, but we all have troubles. This is part of the package of being a follower of Jesus Christ, but the good news is that Jesus takes those troubled times and turns them into something for good in our lives and for His glory. The Bible says in the book of Psalm 34... Listen very carefully. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him or her out of them all. I cannot help but think about the friends of Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember what Nebuchadnezzar, the emperor, the most powerful man in the world, did? He ordered that there be a 90-foot tall statue, nine feet wide, placed in Babylon. And whenever a certain signal was made by players of brass instruments, anywhere in the empire, that was a note. Immediately those who heard it were to fall to their knees, put their faces to the ground in worship of Nebuchadnezzar. These three young Hebrew men, Refused to because they believed in the one true God. They worshipped Him. It infuriated Nebuchadnezzar to the point the Bible says his countenance changed. The way he looked, he was transfigured in the way he looked. He was so angry. He ordered that some of his men, two of them, would take these three men, bind them up, and then take them to what is described as a fiery furnace, throw them into the fire, and... They did as they were told. The two men who took these three young lads were incinerated just like that. so hot. But for some reason, these three young guys didn't burn. And they're in there, and Nebuchadnezzar looks there, and he cannot believe himself, what he's seeing. But he speaks to someone near him. He says, hey, they're in there, and they're walking around, but there seems to be a fourth figure in there walking around with them. And then this is the description which Nebuchadnezzar assigns to this fourth figure. He's like the Son of God. He was the Son of God. It was a pre-incarnate 
expression of Jesus is called Christophany. That's not a biblical word. It's a theological word which is made up to describe when Jesus comes to the aid of people and visits people. The angel of the Lord is the way he's usually described in the Old Testament. And the Lord is with you. Though we walk through the fire, though we walk through the waters, the Scripture says, these are all pictures of persecution and difficulty. Guess what? The Lord is with us. The Lord is near us. We need to know that. You know, one of the things that I've noticed in my life, I'm not a person, I have feelings. A lot of people don't think I'm very emotional because I don't show much emotion. But I'm emotional. Are you emotional? I mean, I feel things. I'm glad I can feel things. I don't base my faith on my feelings, but my faith does produce certain feelings that are really positive in their outcome. Some of them I don't like, but some of them I really like. But when I worship the Lord and really forget about me, start praising the Lord, I don't worry about anybody else or anything else because I'm concentrating on my God who is with me, my God who is all-powerful, my God who has, believe it or not, my best interest at heart. He wants to glorify Himself through me. And all of a sudden, all these things which are troubling me become very, very marginal in my life. And so, what is the answer to the anxiety which piles up on us? Well, it's here. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And by the way, this last part of verse 6, let me read it in the way that would be a very good interpretation of it. Let your request keep on being made known to God. This is reminiscent of what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount when He says, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. Whoever asks, finds. Whoever seeks, finds. Whoever knocks, a door will be opened. We keep on asking is really what Jesus is saying there. It's not a lack of faith. In fact, to not keep on asking, seeking, and knocking when you know that God has made a promise to you is falling short of what God would have for us in our relationship to Him. Back to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel has prayed incessantly for three weeks. He has been fasting for three weeks. He's kneeling beside the river in Babylon. He's praying for the people of God. He's praying for their deliverance. And all of a sudden he's startled when he's tapped on the shoulder, he turns around, there's this angelic being, and the being begins to speak to him and say to him, the moment your prayer was heard in heaven, it was answered. But for the last three weeks, I have been trying to get this message. I was dispatched by God to bring this answer to prayer. I was intercepted by the prince of Persia, which is a cryptic way of describing the devil. And so the devil doesn't want you and me to get the answer to the requests which we made, which are based upon the promises of God, who cannot lie and does make promises to us, and we need to claim those promises. They're ours because we are His, and He doesn't make promises without meaning to keep them. He said, at the end of three weeks, Michael, 
came. Michael is the archangel. Michael is the good equivalent to the evil Satan. Both created beings. And they began to engage each other in warfare. And I came and I brought the answer to you. The moment the prayer of Daniel, which was according to the will of God, reached the Father, in that instant, it was answered. In eternity. The reason you may not be seeing the answer to a prayer you've been praying for a long time, longer than three weeks, could very well be because there's spiritual warfare involved. Interceding for people is definitely fighting for them. And we need to keep that clearly fixed in our minds. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's start with thinking about the heart. The heart is the place of our affections. Some of you are troubled today because of a problem that someone whom you love is suffering from. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. And you're burdened by that. A child who is wayward. A spouse who is critically, if not fatally ill. All kinds of problems. You're burdened because of your affections for others. That's from the heart. The heart is also the place of imagination. This is where our minds run wild when Satan comes and suggests things that are false about God and about our situation. And when we get our eyes off the Lord, we get away from the Word of God. Do you know what the Bible says? That our warfare is not of the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortress and by implications Implication, the fortress which God has allowed Satan to build up, but God's giving us the power to overcome that as we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. How do we do that? Through the Word of God. Knowing what God says, knowing who God is, and believing God, trusting Him. For what he says. Hearts and minds. Guard. This word is a word describing really a garrison, a whole force of Roman soldiers. Around Philippi, there was such a garrison because Philippi was a Roman colony and there was great security. Philippi had a sufficient wall around it, but more importantly, they had this guard around it. And what guards your heart and mind? your affections, your imaginations, your thoughts. What guards them? It's the peace of God. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus says, Peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives to you do I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled, He said. Don't be fearful. I'm with you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to see you through this awful moment or period in your life. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, I'm going to finish with one more quotation from the Word of God and then a story that illustrates the importance of what this passage teaches. The Scripture is found in the 68th Psalm. In the 19th verse, this is what it says. It says in the King James Version, the New King James, this is, Bless the Lord 
who loads you with benefits. There are only two places in the Psalms where the word translated benefits occur. The other is found in Psalm 103, where it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. How has He given? How many benefits has He given to us? A bunch. And what's He done? I love the way it says, He's loaded me with benefits. And God wants to use those benefits to encourage and cheer you in the face of your trouble. He goes on to describe what those are. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. He satisfies your years with good things. He renews your strength like the eagle. The Lord's loaded you if you're His child. Bless Him. That's worshiping Him again. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Talk to your soul. Have a good talking to your soul. Say, soul, bless the Lord. And develop that attitude. Corrie Tim Boom, a name that's perhaps familiar to you. Her sister and she were incarcerated in a death camp known as Ravensbrook in World War II under the suppression and oppression of the SS. And they were taken into this camp. These women were most modest. They had never been married. They were in their 30s when they were taken to this camp. They were taken there and they were stripped and their hair was shaved and they were naked at points being glared at by lecherous representatives of the Nazi regime. And finally, after they had been showered, they got their clothing, they were taken to a barrack which had previously been inhabited by others, but it was empty. Those people evidently had either been transferred to another death camp or had been exterminated themselves. And they were just herded into that barrack, crammed in like animals. And no sooner had they entered that they heard some people who had come in before them and they were screaming about the place was lice-infested. That was not good news. And Corey, the younger of the two Tin Boom sisters, said to Betsy, Oh, Betsy, this is awful. What more could happen to us than what's already happened to us? After all, we had taken care and harbored these Jews who were being hunted like dogs. And this is what we get for it. Well, Betsy, the wiser of the two, the more mature in her walk with God said, but think about it, Corey. The guards will not want to come into here and get close to us for fear they'll get lice. So we'll be able to share the gospel. And that they did. They had their Bible studies. They were able to preach Christ. And scores of women came to know the Lord as a result. You see, all things do work together for good to those of us. We are pampered here in this country. We are ridiculously spoiled. We're spoiled by our culture. We're even spoiled in some ways by our Lord. But what God does, He allows trouble to come so that we can draw closer to Him. And we are no better off than when we're close to the Lord. As the psalmist says in Psalm 16, In your presence... What? There is fullness of joy. And 
in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that we don't have to worry if we are thankful to You. If we focus on You, Lord, we are frail creatures of dust. Lord, You know everything there is to know about me and all of us. You know how we fret and fuss. And we even fuss at You and about You. Forgive us, Lord. And help us to be focused on You. In this special season of Thanksgiving, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.